Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in. Welcome back, everyone, to the Leftovers DVR podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Leftovers DVR. You can email us, leftoversdvr at gmail.com. We are a part of the DVR podcast network. You can find us at dvrpodcast.com. Today, we're going to be talking about season three, episode three of The Leftovers, Crazy Whitefella Thinking. This was a fantastic episode. I'm here, of course, with A Hustler. This is the third time we're recording this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> all action's fault. So it's all my fault. I, I take full motherfucking responsibility, but we're going to do it right this time. How you doing, baby? I'm, I'm doing well, baby. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> so this was a great episode. We're getting into Australia. We're we're getting into a different attitude, a different culture, maybe a different way of seeing the departure uh, than we've seen in New York and Texas and the United States. Um, we it, this is totally. I mean, obviously, this is Kevin centric episode. Um, remnants of great. Australian films, Peter Weir, Philip Noyce, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Go See It, People. That's my first impressions, A Hustler. I liked me a little Scott Glenn this episode. Excuse my poor English, broken English. But yeah, I like Scott Glenn. Um, He was uh, fantastic. I love his character. I think he, um, I've seen him uh, expand um, expand as an actor through this role uh, more than any other role that I've seen him in prior to that. Although I've always enjoyed his work just as kind of, uh, you know, a character actor in a sense. He's a great, just fun character actor, but I wouldn't say he has a lot of range. Um, But yeah, just, I love seeing, uh, I just love his character and I love seeing a whole episode about him and and seeing what he's been up to. So um, you want to get right into it, man. Let's do it. All right, so the uh, basic summary and synopsis of the episode is that it focuses exclusively on Kevin Garvey Sr. and his messianic quest to navigate through Australia and prevent a great apocalyptic flood that he said will occur on the seven-year anniversary of the sudden departure. Okay, um, so the title is, as you said, is Crazy White Fella Thinking. And I think it implies, at least in part, um, about the arrogance of an American outsider who believes in and embraces his delusions of being a messiah at the expense, or at least that's how he portrays it, of other people's feelings and property. This episode addresses also the issue of cultural appropriation and at least, um, you know, at least makes you ask questions about it. So I think that's it's really cool in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode starts... Uh, off a little differently. Um, it's the same credits, but a different song. As we speculated last week, that 
every episode would probably have a different song uh, rolling on the same credits. And it is um, Personal Jesus, um, written by Depeche Mode and performed by Richard Cheese, who is, I guess, apparently a famous lounge singer who mm-hmm. I really had no familiarity with. Mm-hmm. And uh, he plays basically... Uh, this is basically a cheesy version <laughs> yes, <it's laughs> of the song. Personal Jesus, yeah, someone to love. Sorry, I got into it a little bit. Yeah, I didn't like this as much as last week's, um, but uh, no, it wasn't terrible. But it just, I, I don't, it just, I, I would have liked the original song, I guess, but it just didn't hit me right. And it was, a, it was like uh, repetitive. It was jokey, like last week's was jokey, so it kind of it kind of like uh, just felt a little flat to me. Um, but um, and I hope they do something different with the visuals, but we'll see. I like the idea that they're at least doing something. Yeah, I think um, different. I, yeah, I think I mentioned this to you before, but I, I I thought I saw something where maybe they didn't have enough money, yeah. or maybe they just don't want to spend money on doing the intro. Um, and so they just decided to keep it and, uh, you know, or maybe that's what their initial thought was. And then maybe they turn it into an art thing where they would just play a different song yeah. into the same, uh, background over and over again. So uh, it's, it's interesting anyway. Um, so let's get right into the heart of the episode with a recap. And we open on a picture of the police chief of Mapleton, when he's uh, when he is the police chief, and it's Kevin Garvey Sr. and apparently it's moments after the sudden departure, and he's kind of in the middle. I love the shot. He's kind of we just see his back, and he's kind of in the middle of the the road, and you know, there's two roads, well, probably the divider or yeah, barrier. It's, it's two roads. Yeah, it's one of those classic slow mo um, eye in the center of the storm shots. Yeah. Yes, way of putting it. Yes. Coming from a great uh, filmmaker himself, Axel Foley. There you go, baby. Uh huh. So um, we then transition to Kevin Senior driving uh, in his car in present day to uh, on a, a piece of Aborigine sacred land, and he um, he I guess there's a ritual or whatever that he's going to observe. And uh, as he's driving, we hear uh, a conversation between him and his son Kevin in 1981. And they were talking about, interestingly enough, ducks underwater. Um, and the fact that Kevin said, you know, little Kevin said that some ducks, you know, are the ducks that went underwater, are they going to come up, basically? He's worried that they won't come back up for air and they're going to die. And he said, we need to get help. And um, so his father just reassures, reassures him that they'll resurface. Um, and they eventually do. And I think this is... this. This moment is very symbolic of things that, or connects to other things that happen uh, as the episode goes along. Then um, we see Kevin Senior taping uh, the ritual, um, at least taping the song. He has uh, the mic out, and then he's also, you know, uh, peeking behind uh, from behind the rock and watching uh, the ritual at the same time. And then after, um, and I think this. This part of the the episode really takes us into, transports us to Australia and takes us to this, you know, it makes it very authentic, just like we did with Mapleton, just like we did with um, Jardin or Miracle on Texas. You know, you felt like you were there, you were a part of the land. And I think this was a good intro to this part of the story. 
Um, so he, after watching the ritual and taping it, it gets back into his car and later at night he sets up, um, uh, a ritual area and he paints himself and he starts, he plays the tape and he, you know, practices the song and he starts performing the ritual soon after a police car pulls up and, um, they basically said, what are you doing? And he responds, uh, you know that I'm, I'm saving us from the fucking apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was really funny, uh, funny moment, one of many. And uh, he's very passionate. You can tell he really believes in what he believes in. It's a good intro to his character. Um, and then, so the next shot, we see him um, sitting across from uh, the guy who caught him, and uh, I guess he's about to be released. And he asks for his tape recorder back, uh, but the the cop wouldn't give him back his mic, and then he asked for a tape back, and you know, not the tape that he actually used to tape the recording, you know, record the Aborigine um, songs. Uh, it was a tape of him and his son, and it's called it was called Niagara '81. So that's how we know it was in 1981, and you know, when Ke- Kevin was a little boy, yeah, junior. So um, you know, I I think throughout the, the story we see references to the the title and you know i think when you know the the reaction of this police uh officer as well as some other people he comes in contact with or you know there's just deadpan looks of like you're fucking crazy what the fuck are you talking about basically at least you know that's what i glean from it yeah he's well i mean <clears throat> he's not exactly a soft sell <laughs> you know what I mean? like, no he's like he, in your face yeah so I am the fucking man. and the whole thing <laughs> like he's obsessed with this tape niagara he misses his son there's going to be a flood to depart you know i mean i'm sure that most of the world has seen this already seven years on you know um yeah. i mean we've seen it in the show so much people just attaching everything and anything to the departure um yes. So I can see that. And the, and the, 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 the cultural appropriation thing, it's interesting to me because I find that whole topic to be really fascinating because you do have instances where you want to remember like where something came from and its history and honor it, but also all of culture is appropriation, you know, um, those Aborigine dudes could have learned that from some tribe that they wiped the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? Um, so much of, uh, any religion is appropriated. You know, we celebrate Christmas on pagan, on a pagan holiday. We celebrate Easter on a pagan holiday. We celebrate, I mean, Halloween is a right. So, you have, uh, even within different religions, you have borrowing saying, you know, so I'm talking of religion cause of the show, but I just mean, and in culture too, I mean, people get accused of it today, right? Like didn't that Kylie Jenner get, I, I don't even remember if that was what that yeah. controversy yeah, was about. Commercial. Yeah. I yes. didn't even see the commercial to be honest with you. I don't know anything having to do with the Kardashian. I just immediately try to expunge from my mind. Oh, you don't have to tell me. Um, but <laughs> right there. I, uh, people get accused of it, but it's like, how can culture go forward if we don't appropriate like that is right. But then again, 
I can think it's of more of a it's more of an ask thing though, and we find yeah. out later that's probably yeah. the best way to go about it. It's just an interesting topic because even in this subject here, in all truth, Kevin is in 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 many ways honoring what they're doing. He believes it. Sure. Right. Sure. So, what's a great? But he believes it in a sense. He has his own twist on it, though. However, I know, but you know, doesn't because... everybody? Doesn't even it? Doesn't every Catholic have a different idea of what Catholicism is? Doesn't every Muslim think a, a little bit differently? Like, hey, you know? Yeah, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just yeah. saying that that's some people just view it that way. Yeah. I mean, they're just I know more, just more, and I think it's theirs, and you know that you know you you need to ask or. You know, you at least need to have a discussion about it. Right, so right. Just... Well, you have great examples of it. For instance, like Led Zeppelin gets sued by another group of like white. Yeah, Stairway to Heaven. Yeah, yeah, for Stairway to Heaven. Like one white British group sues another all white British group. And yet the entire first album of Led Zeppelin is them stealing blues songs and not paying the people yeah. them. Yeah. But they're great. And everybody agrees. It's a classic album, but I wonder, yes. did they ever go back and pay those? Maybe they did. Maybe I'm totally wrong. And Jimmy page and Robert plant went and paid those guys, but it's just like you're there's, you're right. It's a sticky subject. Cause in certain ways, when people appropriate, they, they misuse and they misrepresent, but that's also a, a case of history. I think it's just interesting because even in this crazy time, they're worried about that. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like I, 2% of the population disappeared, but we still keep worrying about these other things. Is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, there is no, although we didn't really, come in contact too much with you know at least we didn't with other characters other than chris sunday um any yeah. ever any characters you know we didn't get on well, going we to did. depth with them. Oh, we didn't go into no, depth, like depth but they're in the like, show you know yes, so in terms right, of right, like right. maybe how the departure affected them and it'd be interesting to understand what their cultural beliefs may how they may have been affected by this yeah you know what i mean as opposed to you know how a lot of christians responded yeah. to it at least Right. It's funny because somebody could, could, someone could accuse, you could see someone on Twitter or whatnot, right? Somebody writing a think piece for Vulture that um, this show is culturally appropriating the Aborigines by blending them into Damon Lindelof's obsession with Judeo-Christian symbolism in modern life or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, so it's interesting, man. Yeah. I, I, Again, I don't think that's that's done on purpose, you know. You know, yeah, so yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so like you said, we uh, definitely had a, you know discussion of the issue of uh, cultural appropriation, and you know throughout this episode, we just we are littered with instances of people not liking um, Kevin's um, taking liberties with these restricted areas, perform the rituals, steal the songs, and he's showing no respect for their values or rights. You know, so that's how well, they that's view they, it. Yeah, and, that's how they view yeah. it. Yeah, and and I, I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard topic. I mean, to discuss because I don't really know how the Aborigine people feel about it. I guess well, we don't really get a a real feel for it, right? Well, that's, I mean, uh, that's often what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's Other true. people come in and go, "We got to make a law to protect them," and then sometimes the people are like, "Yeah, we don't really care." Yeah, exactly. 
So, okay, let's go back to the action. So after leaving the police station, uh, Kevin Sr. resumes his mission. We see him marking the song line on the map he has of the Aborigine land. And, um, you know, we're just get a little bit into the song line, what it was. And um, basically it was um, with an animist belief religion, religious system um, it was of the indigenous Australians. Um, they basically called him the Footprints of the Gods or a song line, or it's also called a dreaming track. And this is one of the paths across the, across the land or sometimes yeah. the sky, which marks the route. Um, followed by localized creator beings during the dream time. The paths of the song lines are recorded in traditional songs, stories, dance, and painting. A knowledgeable person is able to navigate across the land by repeating the words of the song, which describe the location of landmarks, waterholes, and other natural phenomena. In some cases, the paths of the creator beings are said to be evident from their marks on the land, such as large depressions in the land, which are said to be their footprints. By singing the songs in the appropriate sequence, indigenous people could navigate vast distances, often traveling through the deserts of Australia's interior. The continent of Australia contains an extensive system of song lines, some of which are only a few kilometers, whilst others traverse hundreds of kilometers through lands of many different indigenous peoples. So traditional Aboriginal people regard all land as sacred, and the songs must be continually sung to keep the land alive. So I just I I love that part of their culture. It's all about land and nature, and to me, that's what I really follow. You yeah. know, that's what I believe in, and just my personal spiritual beliefs. I believe in Mother Nature, and we're all part of a connected universe. And you know, that's a lot of what their beliefs, a lot of other indigenous peoples, and like we've discussed before, in matriarchal societies, um, they're very nature based, and uh, I love it so. Uh, you yeah. have anything to say about it? Yeah, I find this, um, just from the story factor, I love this kind of stuff. I mean, this is old school, earth mother, you know, um, na- man versus nature. I, I just, I find it really interesting. You know, it reminds me of the days eating some shrooms and getting down on the ground and touching the earth and being like, who walked on this man and how do you build we could just build a house here like this is, you just start thinking of the base like people in just living with, one with nature and the sun and the earth and the wind you know and like all that kind of stuff man Sound i like dig it yeah i know right i mean i just love <laughs> i love that the leftovers is kind of getting into that and it's it's interesting too to me this brings up Damon's obsession with points of power and ley lines. And mm-hmm. I love that idea that there are like these, these power mythic creatures when they moved along the earth, they are the earth, but separate from, so it's like they created indentations and that's what made the mountains. You know what I mean? It's like the old stories of us all being uh, on the back. The world is the back of a turtle shell, right? Like that kind of yeah. story. I, I think that it's really, uh, it's really cool. And it's in today's day and age, you know, we get caught up with a lot of the socioeconomic, political uh, kind of religious stuff. And you forget about like the roots and uh, I find yeah. it interesting that they're getting into this. I like yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I think, 
yeah, I think our society is becoming more. We're becoming more complex. We're becoming more right, right. technologically based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that has you, you know think, that, that right? has pros and cons. Yeah, 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 it has pros and cons. I've always been personally more a person of the earth, and I believe in nature, and I like things to be a little bit more simple. And you know, while I love technology and all that it brings, um, I, I just don't think we can get put everything into that. I think we're going a little bit too far into that. And that's just this is just yeah. a philosophical discussion at this point. Well, I think this show, this, I think this, this show, show is great. That, it brings yeah. up these discussions. Yeah, yeah. dude, definitely yeah. It makes me think of like a cartoon of like a dude sitting on. Uh, sitting in a like a grass, a beautiful grass field, looking at his iPhone at the Wikipedia e- uh, entry for grass. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's modern life, right? It's, Ooh, it's what's true. grass? Right. Oh, right. wait, I don't. I shouldn't just like lie down in it, touch it, feel it, close my eyes, meditate, mm-hmm. be one with it. Uh, uh, or let it, or let or like appreciate, think about it. I'm gonna go look up what it is. What's gr- oh grass? Okay. Oh, look at this funny YouTube video of a guy dressed in a grass costume. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great point. People just like it just becomes thought. Yeah. Well, we do it too. We're on a podcast. Of course we do. <laughs> we all do it. But we're see, dude. This is the spoken word tradition, baby. Continuing through the DVR podcast network, the that's oral right. traditions. So- all right, so let's get to the next part. Um, so we see Kevin Sr., he gets out of his car, stops at a post office, and he asks for the whereabouts of uh, Christopher Sunday. And that's a very cool name. Um, so when he's speaking to this guy, he it was in a funny moment. He, he says that he's a member uh, to try to basically get him. Oh, you know what? We didn't talk. Address. Wait, hey, hey Huss, we kind of skipped over him getting arrested and everything. No, we talked about that actually. Oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, you're right about their their mostly their reaction to him and everything. And yeah, yeah. I just said the next thing. Okay. Yeah, right, they let right. him go, and you know, uh, yeah. True that. All right. So he basically he, to get the postal worker to give him the address. Um, he he makes, tries to make a convincing argument that he's a member of the indigenous community. Um, <laughs> which the postal worker it's Rachel Dozell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is another great um, crazy white fellow thinking moment. So he just says, "Okay, another deadpan moment," and uh, yeah, and so um, he gives him some more information and he convinces him to um, give him the address. But he um, also picks up a package that Matt sent to him, and when he asks for it. Um, it's uh, it's the book of Kevin. When he when he tells a postal worker what's in it, he says it's a goddamn sequel to the Bible. <laughs> Which again is another moment of yeah, this is a crazy dude, you know. So <laughs> that was just a classic moment. Um, so then we see him reading through it, and he rips it. He rips out one random page. That, at least to me, it looked random. He just was flipping through it, and he picked a page. And he folds money into it and places it in the National Geographic magazine from 1972 that's been littered throughout the show, next to a map of Cairo. Um, so it made me think of the yeah. song line that he's working on, and maybe I, I need to you know look again at the map. But it made me think that the map of the Nile River going mm. through Cairo could correspond to the song line in his map of Australia. I could be completely off oh, on that. Oh, so he thinks that if he 
okay, that's an oh, hey, hey, Hus, you might have hit on something here. That's why it's. I might have. Where did he get the song line from? Yeah, yeah. maybe it's Man. flipped. Maybe he thinks that he if maybe maybe he's thinking along the lines of these power point these 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 nexuses of power, and that it's almost like if you turn one off, the other one goes on. You know what I mean? Like an old light switch. Could be. Let's see my. Hmm, I don't know. I hadn't thought questions. of that. Yeah, there's some questions that this raised. Like, yeah, where did? Uh, although we find out a lot of the other information, we don't actually get the answer to where did he? You know, the direct answer to where did he get the idea for the song line? You know what I mean? Like they just talk about singing songs, but we don't actually get him saying how he came up with that whole thing. You know what I mean? Right. 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 So, um, and where he came up with the specific line. So. Yeah. To me, that that would make the most sense if 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 it actually matches the same shape um, as the map of Cairo. Good sleuthing, good sleuthing, hustle. Just an idea. All right. So the next part, Kevin reads the song Kevin and marks it up in red, and is clearly frustrated throughout while he's marking it up and yeah. crossing things out. And it's um, he's basically frustrated that it's about his son and not him. He crosses out Matt's name a couple. Uh, I'm sorry, not Matt, but um, his son's name a couple times. So then he calls. He just gets up and he calls um, Reverend Matt Jamison. And Kevin basically wants Matt to acknowledge what he's doing and try to save the world. And Matt just ignores him and says his son is going to Australia. So he. So Kevin's like, I'm the, like, he's just saying like, I'm the important one here. You need to be talking about my deeds and what I'm doing right now instead of, and and saying that his son is not important, or at least that's the way he's implying it. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's a little confusing. Like I can't really tell to be honest. And we'll talk about this a little bit more as if he's actually trying to protect his son. Or if um, he really thinks that he is this messiah-like figure, yeah. You know? uh, so I, I don't. He, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I think he does. You think he does think he's a messiah figure? Yeah, yeah. Like he said, it's okay. his story. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so, uh, so basically, on the surface, Kevin Senior believes he was chosen for this mission. Yeah. That. He, not his son, is actually the Messiah. Yeah, he justifies all of his actions as great deeds of self-sacrifice. <laughs> don't they all? So don't they all? Yes. A hustler. Don't they yes. all? Yes. So during the conversation, he brings up the story of Abraham, or no, Matt, uh, to ref- in re- reference to what something Kevin said. He likens it to the story. Of Matt likens it to the story of Abraham, the biblical story of how God tested Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his own son, Isaac, who, according to Matt, was not a child but a 36-year-old man. And he just completely, he just (laughs) immediately dismisses that. So he wanted a child. He wanted a child. So he was, to me, that's what made a connection, too. Like, maybe he didn't want to be, he didn't want to sacrifice his son. You know, maybe that's part of it. So maybe he doesn't want, and he says, um, he says, uh, so Matt tells me um, he's going to Kevin Jr. is going to go to Australia, and he and then Kevin Senior says I don't want him going any fuck, uh, fucking near Australia, right? So that that also made me think: Is he trying to save him um, from whatever it is? Maybe he knows something. Maybe the voice has told him something well, about his son, and he's trying to save him. Yeah, the that's time. that's the thing. Maybe that's why he went to Australia. 
yeah, but that this is what I'm trying to figure out. It's like he's trying to cause is he trying to cause a flood in a certain place and not in you know because he says he's he says that he's getting okay, these are all these songs, but they but he got he needs this rain song. This guy is the best rain song, right? But that's not but he doesn't know that it's actually it doesn't seem to me that he knows that it's actually supposed to uh to ask for rain as opposed to stopping him. No, he does because he smiles at him. Okay. Okay. And that's why I think that he's it, this is the this is like try, we're trying to decipher the mind of a lunatic and he has yeah. he has making connections that are insane but then then again like I'm saying man there I but know you, but there some are, of his stuff is real I so. know that's what I'm saying. I, this is what I, every time I say something like that, I know that there are people watching this show, and and I should take into this account too because I am not the. I'm just watching it like everyone else. That what we are seeing is a is a modern telling of a revelation, you know. And if it did happen in modern time, I mean, if you think about that, transposing. Anything of that, whether it's Moses, Muhammad, Buddha, Jesus, into a modern world, uh, how do people react to that? We actually do have that in two most famous instances, one being the nation of Islam and the other being um, Mormonism and then also Scientology. And you see the way most people react to that. You know, and and I think I'm, it's fair to say most people, uh, because if if most people are of the Abrahamic religions, I mean, most of the Christians and Catholics that I've met um, see uh, Mormons as the other. You know, yeah. So it's really, uh, you know, it's a, it's interesting concept. It is indeed, and. Uh... We can, we can, yeah, there's so many things that we can discuss here, but we'll keep it moving. Um, so, also, one little thing that I noticed during this interaction with Matt is uh, that his wife um, basically tells him that she's going to go to the park with Noah. And I felt like they, you know, made a pretty easily decipherable reference to the fact that she was probably going to leave at that point, the way the look that she gave him. So, I felt like at that point in the, in, Oh, yes, I love that. that she left him. Yeah. I love when they do this on this show. Yeah. They're so good at, and they jump time too, because now we're only seven days away. That's right. When we, That's last right. time we yeah. saw Kevin, we were what? 13 or 14 days away, right? Well, by the end of the episode, we're only seven or eight days, but now right, at right. this point in the episode, okay. we're still way farther out than that. Exactly. You're, you're absolutely right because he's away for like two weeks or something, right? Yeah. Three weeks, I think. Three, yeah. Okay. Good point. Something Good point. Like okay. So, um, all right. The next part. So Kevin, uh, next visits Sharon, um, who the, the name of the person that the postal worker gave him um, that could help him find the address for Christopher Sunday. I guess she, her office works with the indigenous people and she, you know, to get anything from them or to request, have any requests, one of them, one of the people from her office has to go with them apparently unless they have special permission. So um, on his way in, it's raining, uh, 
it's raining heavily, and he throws the book of Kevin uh, in the trash. And uh-huh. this is something that I noticed, and it may not be anything, but obviously it's you know sitting there in the rain, and then the red marker uh, it actually smears off. Now it's a photocopy of it, but it's just interesting that the red marker yeah. smears off, and it's like. Um, maybe he's not as important as he thinks he is. Maybe this is a, another uh, a, a, the beginning of a sign that maybe he's not the Messiah. I, That's just that is very, very good visual metaphor. Yes, so that that could just be it washing away, and that mm-hmm. he's just a crazy white fella. Maybe there is no Messiah, or maybe it's just his son. His washes away, and his son is left. Right. So, nice. Nice. That's all. That's all I was thinking. So but it's I, red, so does that mean there must be a blood sacrifice? Could be. Good. Oh, he added to it. Oh, on the Leftovers podcast. <laughs> maybe maybe he does have to. Maybe the Kevin Jr. does need to be sacrificed like Isaiah. Mm. Mm. Or Isaac, I'm sorry, Isaac. So, um, all right, so let's see. So he's in the office with, uh, waiting for Sharon. Yeah. And as he sees his one of her questioning poster that we brought up um, before. And he seduces, when, when he starts uh, talking to Sharon, he su- kind of seduces her by complimenting yeah. her painting of a snake. And, by, oh, by the way, she happens to have been the painter, so she's very much taken in with him. And he gives a little bit of his story, which is true. And then as she's, you know, looking for his address and they're going to go off together and see Christopher <laughs> Sunday, she then sees the poster. Yeah, and then he grabs and, the file like a crazy man and runs out the door, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah, but it's their interaction when she starts yeah. reading off the charges, like, oh, you're stealing songs, you're um, yeah. uh, trespassing, whatever it was, all these things. And then he just, he kind of says, well, your government has been guilty for generations of, of True. children theft of children and you know we apologize for that we apologize <laughs> like, that makes a fucking difference yeah <laughs> that was well, such a great moment that's funny man that's that yeah. that's like a Chappelle show gag or something you know yeah, yeah. yeah so he runs off with the file and he goes and finds the dude and this scene um uh i thought was really some of it surprised me mm-hmm. what surprised you um when he talks about being in the hotel, they're like leading us right to the edge of him, like basically confirming, you know, that everything's real in some way. And he's like, and then I saw a commercial of a, of a chicken who laid an egg. Right. (laughs) And then it, it brought me here and it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. You could, uh, I don't know, man, you could make different, if you start to break down what that really means and, and how it led him there. And then the coincidence of Kevin now being Kevin jr. Coming there. And, um, but you've got to say one thing is how did Kevin know where he was and what he was doing? You know, like did somebody off, did, how would he find that out that information? Yes. So Kevin, Kevin jr obviously saw something maybe Kevin senior didn't again, leading towards the point that he's not really important. He's only important in so far as that he's the, the senior to the important junior. But, um, it, it's like, it's an, it's another like Lindelof, uh, a Lindelof lob 
it's like he gives you half. You think you're going to get it? No, nope. We're not going to confirm it, but we're going to confirm another part, which actually raises another question. But sure. I liked it. I kind of liked it. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing could be setting, like, the fact that he thinks he's this important person or the fact that he's doing these deeds or whatever right. can actually set it up so he's where he needs to be in the end. Yep. You know, by the end of the episode. So that it may be very important regardless of how crazy he is. So, um Basically, let's talk a little bit about the conversation. We'll just go over it a little bit. And uh, we find out that Chris um, was, uh, he, he actually, when they first meet, he says, I can tell you're scared. You know, he says, uh, you're scared. And he, he says, yes, he is. So then they go inside and they tell a story. And all we see is Chris, just his reaction to him, which is basically just deadpan the whole time. Like, okay. And um, basically, Kevin tells a story, and Chris is the only person who knows the song of the last piece of land he needed to complete his song line to prevent the impending flood. So he tells him a story of how he came to Australia and the series of events that led him to the present time. He followed, the, like we found out before, he followed the voices um, that he that came into his head after the departure and he followed them. He started listening to them and he came to Australia, but they did not give him any instructions on what to do after he, he came here, I came there. And then he, uh, randomly came across a hippie who convinced him to speak to God through using the hallucinogenic yeah, called God's yeah. tongue. And we know this, that it is God's tongue from season two and episode eight, international assassin. When Kevin actually, sees him, you know, while he's tripping on this, he tells him he's taking God's tongue. And it's so, also in that know, exact, like with the, yeah. whatever mattress and the, that he described, yes. right? Like there's other, that the other guys were white guys, I think too. Yeah. He says, yeah. So. Yes. yeah, that's really interesting. So as he said, after he wakes up two weeks later, after taking his God's tongue and he couldn't remember any of the details, completely blacked out, but apparently he did talk to Kevin jr. During his time, um, he was in the other place, maybe. And so uh, so after, like you said, he saw the chicken on TV, and, his name, and the chicken's name is Tony. That's an interesting name for a chicken. He then relayed the story of a town in Australia, 14 people that all vanished during the departure, including the animals. One egg survived and hatched two days afterward, and this is how, how Tony the chicken came to be. So people apparently thought it was special, and like we've seen throughout the show, that people attach significance or importance to various things surrounding the departure, and because this one was kind of very unique, they all thought probably that Tony had you know some kind of wisdom, and yeah. after a couple of people were confirmed... Makes total uh, sense. Yeah, so... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, in Leftover Land, it does, so... Um, basically people, it, he could basically help people find what they're looking for through, I guess, pecking. <laughs> Cause when <laughs> Kevin asked, he couldn't, there, he wasn't looking for anybody. He, so he wanted to, um, find out what his purpose was. He wanted to know what his purpose and he was very passionate about that. And he said the chicken, the chicken then pecked at his tape, a label Niagara 81. And then, 
and a, a stark moment of realization and revelation. When Kevin listens to the tape, it's on the part where he is saying itsy bitsy spider to his son to make the rain stop. Reluctantly, he sings and the rain stops. And this is ultimately where Kevin Garvey Sr. seemingly got his mission from, to stop the impending flood rains he believes will occur on the seven-year anniversary. Now, what I, the part that really doesn't come through here, and you have to ask the question is, where does he get the idea of the flood on the seven-year anniversary in the first place? There's been no information or link to that uh, part of in I the mean, story. Dude, where does he get the idea for any of this? This is... That's true, it's, but... It's, but it's it seems like he has a reason for everything he does, or even if he makes it up in his head, you yeah, know. So, I'm just, I mean, so that part of it, that part of it, has to tell me there's got to maybe be some truth to it. Taken alone, this is an episode of a sad, delusional man who lost his family and his son, and is grasping on to anything to regain me this. some connection to it. All right, but riddle me this: as we see at the end of the episode, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, we see Grace and some people building an ark outside of her house, right? So we see that ship. Um, where did she get the idea to actually build that? Because I'm pretty sure in the, the one page in the Gospel of Kevin, there's nothing in there about an ark, about needing to build an ark for the floods, uh, you know, because how could how could Matt know about it? Unless... Oh, 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 okay. Oh, you know what? Now that you mentioned that, that's a whole other thing that we'll get yeah, to. Yeah, it is another thing. But, but I'm just saying. I do remember... I want to say that in the first or second episode, I think it was Kevin or someone, that's like a kind of story going around. Okay, that, that's what that the there's going That there's going to be a great flood. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because that, that is what, that's right after seven years or seven, wasn't there something in the Bible about that? I forget, man. It's been 20 years. Yeah. But, um, there, you know, se- I mean, seven days in, is always important. So seven years. And, um, uh, I think that that, I want to, I want to say that that was something that exists outside of just, uh, Kevin senior and the book of, Kevin. yeah, I, I know the seven year increment does, but yeah. I don't know about, I remember something about it, man. I remember something about it. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess I can make sense especially if she's building like otherwise where would they get the that idea from i think it's i think it's a pre-existing mythology Mm, that's interesting so will this flood the supposed flood actually happen very interesting yeah um so uh basically he uh so he puts great stock into this part of uh his mission because of this because of what the chicken said with the tape um that made me so, sad. That whole thing kind of yeah. really made me sad, man. Yeah, and he cried a little bit, too, when he was discussing his trip to Niagara Falls in 1981 with his son. Yeah. After, and then we find out this is after, right after his wife died, and she had given him the mic and the tape recorder um, that he was carrying. Uh, she had given it to him right before she died. So his son, you know, obviously it was very important to him. And he taped a number of their conversations about various things that they encountered like he, he wanted to be, a, I guess, a journalist or a reporter um, when he was a kid. So yeah, it was really, it was really sad, and you could, you could tell that he was even the um, Christopher. It seemed like he reacted a little bit too, could at least sense his pain from his expression. 
So, um, so yeah, I believe that 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 moment of his life was very bittersweet. You know, losing his wife and coping with pain for both him and his son. Um, and so this brings me up to. Uh, we talk about uh, spiders that live underwater, and one of the stories in the 1972 National Geographic that Kevin uh, is infatuated with includes an article, The Spider That Lives Underwater, describing a spider that lives almost its entire life underwater. This is also very similar to the part of the tape that we listened to during the beginning of the episode when the ducks go underwater and then resurface. In season one, Christine woke from a nap and her first words to Tom were spiders underwater. I remember that very succinctly. Um, and uh, as, do you think this is a reference to what happened to the departed? Or are they stuck somewhere? Will they eventually resurface? Or, if we flip it, um, are the rest of the surviving humanity the trapped spider? Do they represent the trapped spider that will eventually come out of it and meet the, meet the ones that departed? Um those are just yeah, some interesting questions that came up in my head, but the symbolism is yeah deep, baby. Really deep, deep. Yeah. All right, man, let's keep it moving. So yeah, man, he, he tells him fix the hole in the ceiling and, yeah. uh, you, I'll tell you, you can fix it. Like, yeah, if you want to stop the flood, fix the leak up there yeah. <laughs> first, start here. And there's probably yeah. a metaphor, uh, in there too, isn't there? Right. Like, why don't you fix yeah. yourself before you try to fix the world? Um, yeah. and the, uh, and the lady comes driving in, which this whole thing was hilarious. It was, but what happened? He fell on top of him. He fell on top of him. Okay. Yes. Okay. I get it. And then he's still beg. He's still bothering him for the, As he promised the me. Yeah. Yeah. That was pathetic, yeah. man. It was. That, it, that was really pathetic. Then he insulted and then he yeah. insulted the ambulance driver too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, he just wasn't having it, and he um, kicked him out of the ambulance. So this started the part of the episode where there's a clear divide, uh, like halfway through, where we basically it starts a walkabout portion, yeah. and it's um, he's basically on a walkabout in the outback. Outback, and we've heard a reference to this, and uh, was it maybe the first episode, or it may have been the last episode. And all, obviously, it's a device that Damon's used and lost. It was a big part of john um john's story and that you know the character john and the lost for those of you who uh saw the show yeah so um so as he's walking we see a wide shot and a car drives frenetically just going crazy in the middle of nowhere and then stops near him and a guy just gets out with a, a jug of I guess gasoline or liquid and then he just he douses the car and himself and Kevin runs up. Um, he's not that far away, and um, he tries. Kevin tries to stop him, and the man said, "They didn't take me." He then asked Kevin, "Would you kill a baby if it would cure cancer?" And Kevin, perplexed, says, "No." And the man says, "That is exactly what he said." He then lights proceeds to light himself on fire. <laughs> yeah, that was. Crazy. Which, yeah, it was. What yeah, do that you was... think? When he said they wouldn't take me, I initially thought to Nora's situation. Me too. And, uh, okay, cool. So we were thinking along the way. And then when he th- said to kill a baby to cure cancer um, thing, I thought your answer should probably be yes. Yeah. That's interesting. 
Am I wrong in saying that? My answer would be yes, I would. It's a horrible person. I would kill a baby if it meant that we cured cancer. How many people would you... How many people would you save? But I would ruin my life. I would never be able to live with myself. I'd probably yeah, kill no, myself say, after. Yeah, I have to say, take me too. Why am I even engaging in this line of Yes, talk? why are you? <laughs> Thank you, leftovers. Yes, this is what it does. It makes It's you... an interesting... I, I, I keep on trying to think about what is he talking about? And then when he said that's what he's... What is he talking about? Yeah. What's I, the I analogy the, there? Um, you know, with the baby... Uh, the baby thing i don't know just uh, your ability to sacrifice everything you believe maybe well, I don't, yeah maybe uh, and give holy you, to that whatever do, are that you willing to is. do are you willing to do something a, 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 a yes. single horrible act yes there you go is this does this go back to does kevin is kevin senior somehow thinking that his son has to die yeah, that, oh, there you go. There's the, yep, there's the reference, man. There's the reference right there. You know? We keep coming back to it. Is he going to have to sacrifice his son? Weird, Maybe man. he's doing all yeah. this, and maybe that's why he came to Australia in the first place, is because he's worried. Because he he kept pointing to the magazine. Remember the National Geographic yep, and yep. season one with him? He kept trying to shove it in his face, and you're going to get it eventually, and you're going to understand. And then maybe he finds out later that, yeah, maybe that's not what should happen. Because okay. he's worried about him. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, cool. All right, this is interesting too because I kept on thinking this whole walkabout part was like so Jesus-like, the walk in the desert, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Facing his fears, um, you know, like all that kind of like it was really, you know, I I, I, it had so many allegories, and then all, but then it then it's in Australia and with the Aboriginal stuff too. It was just a great direction. Um, for the episode. So then he finally lays. Oh, I, let me just okay. say one other thing about okay. that. So it would also draw the, the Nora connection is like, she said something when she was speaking to Mark Lynn Baker, um, the episode before about, Oh, what are the, they just incinerate themselves, you know? And she was just, you know, kind of like saying it's, you know, being exposed to the radiation basically, are they just going to fry themselves? So basically it was just to me, this, this is why it drew me to that because he basically just lights himself on fire and does incinerate oh, himself. Okay. You know, it's very different. Yeah. Good point. So, good point. Good point. All right. And one other thing I wanted to say, so there, it was also a homage to an Australian movie entitled Walkabout, filmed in the early yes. 1970s, yeah. where a family drives to the outback. Um, the father then tries to shoot the kids because he's basically given up on life. He sets his Volkswagen, which this is also a Volkswagen, on fire and shoots himself. The kids then find an Aborigine man who helps them, and you know the movie progresses. But that's basically kind of what he's experiencing a little bit in some weird. Oh yeah, dude. Reference, but go ahead. What were you going to say, man? Without a doubt, that was a that's a walkabout is a great movie, man. Yeah, I haven't um, actually seen it. Uh, yeah, I have. It's great. It's fantastic. I'm trying to remember who directed it. I think it may have been Weir. Who, who directed Walkabout? Mm-hmm. Was, uh, yeah, I don't think it was Weir. I think it was somebody else. Oh, no. It's Nicholas Rogue. Yes, you're right. That's him. Okay, yeah. That's a yeah. great I need film, to check, man. I need to check it out. Yeah, I saw good reviews for it. Great film. Um. Uh. Okay, yeah. Well, we're running. We're, we're running. So let's let's try to get through. The, uh, let me, let okay. me take us through the rest of it. You know why? Not only are we shorter on time, but also because I have a point to make, okay? 
And I want to see if you agree with me, Ahas. So well, let me just let me just read through the <laughs> script then, unless you have it in front of you. And then because we have to talk about the tape being ruined, you know, through the rain. Remember, he says uh, the, it starts raining again, and his tape gets ruined. Right, right. So okay, I think that's ahead. important, like all this stuff. All right, so eight eleven. All right, seven eleven. Whatever it is. After searching for um, water in, in the car, he looks at the skies and says, "You can't stop me, asshole." And then it starts pouring rain again. It's just like it did earlier in the episode. And he's able to drink, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, water, water. And then uh, he looks immediately to his tape. And as he tries to put it back together later, he, ruin, he realizes that it's ruined. So all his thoughts are preconceived notions. It seems like everything's falling apart in front of him. Um, because we find out later that Christopher Sunday is dead. So he can't learn the last part of the song line anyway. So even, you know, based on his, his perceived notions about what's going to happen, so based on that, the floods are going to happen anyway. It doesn't matter, you yeah. know. Um, so anyway, so let's keep it moving. So um, Diamond Upon Thirst come across, comes across his totem animal, a snake. Uh, again, references of snakes throughout this. And he thanks the snake for its sacrifice to the greater good, you know, like he's, just, again, this Messiah figure, presumably to keep him alive. And as he's about to kill it for water and sustenance, uh, he's about to kill it for water and sustenance. Once he believes the snake is dead, he picks it up and it bites him on the arm. (laughs) So I I just love the symbolism here because Kevin and the woman at the end are, they are like snake bit and it's just, they just have bad luck and are subject to, you know, they've had a lot of different misfortunes. So I just think it's really interesting. It's almost like the snake represents Satan a little bit, or Mm -hmm. at least that part of it, you know, the, the story, which we really have to get into, which is Christianity. Or you know um, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition. Um, so I also found that the scene uh, ran parallel to the Stone Age woman getting bit by the snake. Good point. Yeah, you know, and she dying during season two prelude. Um, so they were both uh, bitten by the snake, and so he finds a he's you know he's weary from exhaustion. You know he's obviously he's been snake bit. Um, he doesn't have any water and he looks like he's about to die and he finds a, he finds a cross and he just decides to, this is where I'm going to sit down and he leans up against the cross and it's almost like he's splayed out like price light figure. But right before he passes out, it seems like he takes out the page and it looks like he tries to write something. I don't know if he actually accomplishes that, but it looks like he did. And then he sees a blur of someone coming toward him on a horse so we assume that it's uh, that it's probably Grace. Um, it could be somebody else, but they have horses. Yeah, it looked a little um, bit like Kevin too in that earlier yeah. horse scene. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought that. Yeah, that would have yeah. been that might have been possible. But so um, so basically, he wake, Kevin wakes up in the in a nice house with an IV and a dog next to him. Um, he gets up, he pulls it off his catheter his catheter off, which looks painful. And then um, he calls, he sees a phone. Uh, the first thing he thinks of is to call Matt. And Matt gets very upset with him, um, you know, again, thinking that, you know, acting like he's God. And you know, obviously Matt's going through something. He was all wet, apparently. And yeah. I, I think so this is after. I think she had left him. Yeah, this is after. Yeah, she had left him. It was apparent. Yeah. yeah. So he just wasn't having it. And he just kind of hung up on him and he just said, fuck off, basically. And so then he, Kevin walks outside and he sees a number of people. And I talked about this before and they're building an arc like ship 
using wood from the church, um, uh, Grace's church uh, on our land. And Kevin finds out from one of the builders that Chris Sunday is, is dead, and they all look at him with kind of like disdain. And um, let's see. He goes back then inside. Kev- yep, he goes back inside of the house, and he looks for drugs. Um, and don't really, I guess he's just looking for painkillers, get a high or something. And, uh, he takes a bunch of dog arthritis pills and then he finds Grace, Grace's photos, uh, in the freezer along with a page ripped out of the Bible called Isaiah 41. Um, and, uh, Kevin looks through the pictures and Grace and her children and he sees all the adoption certificates. Uh, a few of them are Aborigines. Um, or at least mixed, and, um, and then he uh, he passes out. And let me just say here that the page that he ripped out, the Isaiah 41, um, the main point of it was to uh, instill confidence in God to keep those exiled Jews, or maybe in this show, the leftovers, and Babylon, who were losing faith. To me, that was like the whole oh, point okay. of it. Keep the um, yeah, so um, he, he wakes up. He goes outside, he goes, I guess, out the back way, and he um, sees Grace and the other three women, and picks up where the end of episode two left off. Uh, he sees Grace and the three women um, killing Kevin, the local police chief. Yeah. And he comes out, and he says something, and then they shoot him with a tranquilizer dart. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up uh, alone in the room with Grace. And Grace, I guess she's... Uh, messing with the children's shoes, her old children's shoes. And she says, um, you know, let's have tea. Um, and then Grace tells her story. Um, she was in town when the departure occurred. The phone lines were down, and she wasn't able to return home immediately. When she arrived home, her husband and kids were all gone. Grace assumed that they had all departed because she thought it was the rapture, and she was actually happy. Even though she wasn't a part of it, she was happy that they were, or, you know, so yeah. she thought. So sometime afterward, uh, I guess a couple of years afterward, the remains of her children were found. They apparently had tried to probably find help when their father disappeared because they didn't find his bones. And it ended up dying because of the harsh climate conditions. Yeah. Because they didn't have the phones were down. They didn't know what was going and on. she didn't just, even think of looking for him. Exactly. And it, this is one of the, the, again, it was just so heart-wrenching, but it was one of yeah. the most uh, poignant scenes in the whole show. Um, she did such a great job, that actress did. Yeah. So um, so when she found Kevin on the cross, where children, so that's where they actually died, where the cross was, where Kevin passed out, and she found him. She found this page from the book of Kevin, the one that he still had in his hand, and she felt it was a sign from God. She took the literal meaning and thought a police chief named Kevin was the Messiah. And that was three weeks ago. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's important. So it took her probably some time to figure it out, and right. yeah. So we actually, yeah. So so then she says that. What I what, thought, what yeah, I thought God was sending a message just for me. Right. She tells the story, and then he, yeah, and then he tells her it was the wrong Kevin, and we're done. Yeah. So basically, yeah, and then she's like, "It was just a story that I told myself." Yeah. Which I, I love that. Yeah. Now. Can, may I please get to my point? Finally, a okay. hustler. Let us have it. I do not think he went out the back door because I watched it again. When he wakes up initially, there are a bunch of kids there. They look suspiciously like her kids. 
the church is there. They're building this big boat. There's no late, there's no pond. There's no light. There's no elect. There's no telephone pole or light pole or electric wires. And then after he takes those crazy pills and passes out and wakes up, I think he's in a different place. Or he was in a oh, different place no. when he first woke up. When he first woke up, no. he was in a different place. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I will have to wholeheartedly disagree with you there. I because... do. I think we're seeing a little bit of chicanery here. Uh-huh. You know? I, I, don't, I just don't see what the... the so you per, think, I think you would have think, been more dramatic. Okay. Then get to the point here, which is... Okay. I'll get to... You, I'll think, get, I'll, that you think that he went... If he goes out, he went out the back okay. door and then he went out the front door. Okay. So when he gets up, yeah. So we see him go out the, let's just assume in the beginning, when he goes okay. out the front door and right. we see the church and the ark there. Okay. When he gets up the second time from uh, taking the drugs and he goes out and sees them at night, we see Brady goes into a quarter and there's a door in the opposite. He comes toward the camera, but there's a door in the opposite way that looks like it leads out to the maybe a different okay. part of the house. So you think I'm so, just mistaking the front yard with the backyard. Yes. And okay. I also, when they're okay. having their discussion and she's telling them the story in the reverse, reverse shot, you can see the church in the background. I didn't see that. I watched it again. I did not see that, bro. I, yeah, you need to go back and look. Okay. Okay. People, this okay. is a mission for you viewers. You can tell if you actually listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Tell us what you go back and watch that episode yeah, and tell please. me you don't see if you look at her, her side of it, when she's actually telling her part of the story, if, if you don't see the, just pause it and you'll see the, the church okay, back there. Okay. Now I'll tell you this. I'm very willing to accept this. Okay. I'm uh -huh. totally willing to accept that I'm wrong, but if I'm not, it's kind of interesting. It might yeah. just be that he Pat, he was in whatever other place when he first woke up. You know what I mean? And the whole thing of looking at the book didn't happen, I thought. But then she says, you looked at my pictures. So it's but then she also says, I'm alone here. So who were the people building? The there were her workers, people helping okay. her out. That's totally yeah, pay them. Yeah. I, I think, you know what? I could just be looking too deep into the show. I mean, after doing there are deep World levels, and, but yeah, that's yeah. just okay. Like, we only have okay. a few episodes left. I, right. I, okay. I think they would have been more apparent. I think there would have been more symbology. Um, that's a good. Us. You know what? That is a good point. But but I just started thinking with the scene at the end of last week with this whole Nora bringing up another the other side, and you can get there. This is starting to sound like some Desmond Penny lost type shit, man. And I love that stuff, but I'm also a little bit worried because I know other people were very upset with the end of Lost and I wasn't. I mean, initially I had some disappointments, but generally I've come to appreciate and think it was fantastic and I love it. But yeah, it, I love it. They, it is Damon Lindelof. We could be playing with a world in which the the barriers are starting to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be a part of the show. So yeah, I, in the end, I don't, we probably, you know, we'll probably just be left with a question, but I just wanted to bring it up. So I did a little post on our website, dvrpodcast.com, but I've been itching to talk about it because 
I saw something on Reddit where somebody agreed with me, but then it was like you, people too. It, it seemed equally strong arguments. Yeah. I just don't see any, actually, okay. I just don't see any part to your argument after seeing the pictures. <laughs> no offense. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're the best. I love you. Uh, right. That was a hold great up, hold up. I had one other, okay. one other point to okay. make and, so we need to get into this point, you know, and that's the whole point of this episode. So is Kevin Sr. the Messiah? Is there a Messiah? Is this maybe some kind of lesser version? Maybe um, a shaman? Maybe the Kevin Kevin's just kind of like a shaman? Because if we think about that one fa- that one figure, and I'm not sure if we actually can make a direct correlation, but I thought they were probably the same person, at least they suggested it. This Burton character in the season two that they referred to, um, you know, um, the guy at the Pillar Man, you know, gave him a letter. I don't know yeah. if it's Dan. What is it? It's not Richard Burton because that's an actor. It's some. It's something like that. David, Bur- I think it was David. David Burton. Yes, David Burton. That's uh, thank you. So then, in episode eight, an international assassin. I believe it. We're we're led to believe that the guy that helps him figure out how to, you know, how to get rid of Patty and help her out, let go, um, is David Burton. Yeah, the guy who can't so, die. Yeah, so, yeah. like, who, but then what's his role, you know? So maybe, I don't know. It's, uh, you know what, man? It's so interesting because, again, it, it harkens back to, uh, you know, the Jesus story. And, you know, you read books, and um, at that time, like, there were so many people who were saying, you know, who were climbing onto the top of a, milk crate i did they have milk crates back then <laughs> you know and being like i know the, i'm the messiah like there was there, it was a messiah culture you know and is that what this is is it's a messiah these stories what it happens one and then another it's like you know um uh urban legends thank you there we go okay so these urban legends pop up now everybody disappeared what's the opposite of that Nobody can die. Yeah. You know? So it's like, there's a guy in Australia can't die. Kevin can't die. How many other guys can't die? You know? Mm-hmm. But then again, this is a TV show. And from what we've seen in the show, some of this stuff seems pretty damn actually real. So are we seeing a delusion? Like you're saying, like like the, the line between these these dimensions, these worlds, um, God, whatever you want to call it, is is thinner now, yeah. you know. Yeah. And obviously, it really is because two percent of the population really did depart. You know, sometimes I have to admit that I do think perhaps this show will end with this being a mass delusion. That would be a really interesting story. Imagine if something like that happened in real life, Aaron. Imagine if there was a supernatural incident that just like the presidential election, half the people firmly believed it happened and it meant something. And half the people just did not how that would I divide don't, I don't, people. You I just don't see how you can, when people are not there, how you I, know. Say, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's just, it's just, a, I was just brainstorming off of it. Like, but we still, you know, I mean, there's still the idea that, we're looking at the wrong side that we're watching the people who departed. And really it was only the 2% yeah. who stayed. That's what I was saying before. <laughs> that, yeah. The one last point I'm going to make is, you know, Kevin senior's last thing is, um, 
you know, uh, you know, you're not. You said no, Grace. You're not crazy. You just got the wrong Kevin. And because he said it, I also think it's. I mean, it also shows again oh. that it's not him. <laughs> it, that it is right. his son. Yeah. You yeah. know. So yeah, I, he, I think I think that's. He thinks it's him. Yeah. No, but just the fact that he actually said you got the wrong Kevin means yeah. that. I, I think it's referring to Damon's way of saying it's actually his son. Right, but don't you think that Scott Glenn, Kevin Senior, think is is saying me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or is well, he saying his son? I don't know. Maybe he's changed at that point after everything he's been through. Maybe he's changed at that point. I don't know. Maybe he connects with her in that moment again, trying to decipher the mind of yeah. I know, but insane. I. But I've, I've been able to pick up on somebody. I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to say that he thinks it's his son. Okay. All right. I'm going to say that. I think, yeah, there's something there. He's trying to protect them in some way. And I just, I just feel like that's been evident throughout. Okay. All right. All right, man. Well, look, dude, third time was the charm. This was a great episode. We dove deep. Um, we'll be back again next week. Do you have any final uh, words that you want to say, Ahas? Oh, no, it's been fun, and you're wrong. i like the way i wait i'm I'm like waiting this whole time all right man okay she goes there i want to talk about if it's a different and then i say it and you start laughing at me immediately (laughs) that's that's our friendship to a t i love you baby it's just just being real man keeping it real you know know, a hustle hustle does a a hustle you you gotta hustle the bustle i do want to take a moment though to just say give a shout out to some peeps on on uh, who have been kind of getting with us, we don't have too much feedback uh, that we're going to go through this week. We did go pretty long, but I do want to give a shout out to Scott Six, Hamlet is dead, four girls for me too. Um, uh, of course, our old friend John uh, Wombacker, that dude has been with us a long time. He's loving. He's he's saying he did bring up the image of the burnt corpse in the morning light. That was pretty severe, man. That reminded me of Star Wars, man. That was a little Star Wars, right? Um, his aunt and uncle. Um, we got a bunch of new followers, people coming through. We just want to say thanks for that. And I got a shout out to uh, my fiance's friend uh, Gina. All right, Gina. um, She she listened to our uh, episodes and she loved them. So thanks, Gina. I need to get her to actually write a review for us. That would be great. Yeah, Gina, hit up hit us up in iTunes. Give us a review. Say we are great. Thank you, Gina. We appreciate it. Thank you, Gina. Um, Yeah, give us a review. Hit us on Twitter uh, at leftoversdvr, leftoversdvr at gmail dot com, dvrpodcast dot com. We love you. Thanks again. We'll be back with you next Tuesday. Any last words, Hustler? Oh, I can't wait for the next episode, baby. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.